pastors, welcome. So good to have you here this morning. I'll let you know right off the bat that Pastor Stephen Bex are away for a couple of weeks, but there's a very good reason for it. They have flown yesterday morning, first thing yesterday morning, they took, I think it's like four or five flights to make their way all the way to Alabama in the United States. Uh, there's a church over there called Church of the Highlands. It's a church of like 40,000 people, 18 campuses, and Chris Hodges leads that church. They host one of the most premium church growth conferences on the planet. It sells out years in advance. They somehow managed to wrangle their way in and get a ticket. And so I'm so thankful that we have leaders that would fly all the way to the other side of the world to sit under some of the greatest teaching to come back and lead us even better into our next season. So that's super exciting. We can't wait for them to get back, but they will be away for this Sunday and the next. And then rest assured, everything will be back to normal and we'll be into it. But um, we are in the middle of our series. not in the middle, I suppose this is the last part in our series called At The Movies, which is quite funny because of all the people really in my world, I am the least movie watching person, uh, but that's okay. I have an excellent film that I wanna use as a springboard to see what God's heart is on an issue today. And my prayer is that you wouldn't just be inspired, but that you would be equipped to get out there and make a difference in our world like God has called us to do. And so the movie is called Pay It Forward. Has anyone seen Pay It Forward? It's quite an old movie. It was released in the year 2000. My, my quick first disclaimer um, is that there are a handful of questionable words, right? But the, the, the concept that we're looking at is a great one and I believe that God's heart aligns with it. So just wanna let you know in case you run out of here and you wanna go watch it with the kids, maybe not the greatest idea, but do what you want at your own discretion, but that's the disclaimer, right? So the movie is called Pay It Forward and in this movie, you have a 12-year-old boy named Trevor. And Trevor is growing up in a broken home with an alcoholic mother and all the challenges and troubles that come with having an abusive but distant father. And so like most young people, he's figuring things out as he goes, simply doing the best that he can. He finds himself in class one day where his teacher, Mr. Simonette, presents a year-long assignment. With this big inspirational introduction, he suggests that because the world can be changed, because we can take what we don't like and flip it upside down, then it's worth thinking about and striving towards. But as 11 and 12 year olds, what could they possibly expect to achieve? What did the world even expect out of them? But Trevor has an idea. This idea springs to mind and it's an idea that if it works, it may just change the world. It's an idea rooted in love. It's an idea rooted in generosity. It's an idea that you wouldn't expect coming from a young boy from a broken and troubled home. Let's take a look at the screens and see what it's all about. What does the world mean to you? Your house, your street, any further any of you want to go than that? Why should we think about the world? I mean, after all, what does the world expect of us? What does the world expect of you? What if the world is just a big disappointment? Unless you take the things that you don't like about this world and you flip them upside down and you can start that today. This is your assignment.
three people. And I'm going to help them. Do it for three other people. And they do it for three more. But it has to be something really big. Something they can't do by themselves. So I'd do it for them. Lost your car? That's a keen observation. I could help you. You're giving me a brand new Jaguar and you don't want anything? Pay it forward. Three big favors for three other people. That's it. It's hard. You can't plan. Yeah. You have to watch people more. You know. Sort of. Sort of keep an eye on them. To protect them. Because they can't always see what they need. It's, it's like your big chance to fix something that's not like your bike. You can fix a person. It's possible. The realm of possibility exists where? in each of you, so you can do it. You can surprise us, it's up to you. Trevor has made an attempt to interact with the world, and that was the assignment. What you ever do to change the world? Awesome, looks good, eh? It's an amazing movie. It's an amazing movie that has a simple idea that has just one flaw. The only flaw with this idea is that everyone has to do their part. The only way this doesn't work is if someone allows the love and kindness to stop at them instead of paying it forward into the lives of others. One person shows three others extraordinary kindness. They do something for somebody else that they can't do for themselves. And the response of those three people is to go and show that same level of love, love and kindness into the lives of three others. And then those three people into the lives of three others. Now here's the crazy thing. As long as people receive that blessing, they receive that kindness with the responsibility to pay it forward into the lives of others, one into three and then three into nine and nine into 27 and we'll stop there. But I could totally do it, but that's a conversation for later. <laughs> Did you know that it would take just 21 levels of paying it forward to reach a group the size of 10 billion? That's, that's significantly larger than the size of our planet, which is at about, at about 7 billion. Just 21 levels to reach our entire planet. 14 levels of paying it forward to reach our entire nation. Just 11 levels of paying it forward to reach about 160,000 people, which is more than all of East Auckland, which is more than the entire community that we have been called to reach. But here's the crazy thing. It would be 11 levels of paying it forward if we started with one person. But the best thing is we don't have to start with one person. We are a church of thousands. If we took just our East Campus and we took out like the really little ones, the Sparks and the Tots, those were 
too young to probably participate, then we're talking about maybe 2,000 people on a Sunday. And if we started with 2,000 people on a Sunday that showed this extravagant love and kindness to three people and then to three others and to three others, it would take just four, just four levels of paying it forward to reach every single person in our community. This is crazy. And as we break it down like that, the possibility of achieving this seems a whole lot more likely. If you were to show extravagant love and kindness to just three people, after four levels of paying it forward, it would result in 81 people being impacted by your love, by your grace, by your kindness. Your kindness to three could result in us reaching, serving, and influencing 81 people. Now, this is a cool idea, but is it a God idea? This is the assignment that Trevor was given, but is it the assignment that we have been given? I don't wanna major too much more on the movie. I wanna use this idea that Trevor had as a springboard to see what God's heart is on the matter. And so we're gonna go to Luke chapter 10, verse 25 to 37. And this will eventually arrive at a parable that Jesus tells, and maybe you've heard of it. But Luke chapter 10, verse 25 to 37, it's sort of subtitled there, the most important commandment. It says this, One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, well, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus said. So he's affirming that he's hearing this correctly. Right, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked, and who is my neighbor? And so Jesus confirms that everything that God has called us to do can be summarized in two commandments. Love God with everything that we've got and love others in a way that we would like to be loved. And if we left it at that and we said, great, now get out there and go love people, there'd be a bunch of us that would kind of know what that looked like. And then there would be the rest of us that would kind of be like, yeah, I get that I'm meant to love people, but but what do I do? Like, what does that actually look like? And that's why Jesus wants to unpack this idea in a story, because he wants his listeners to understand that loving people, loving our neighbor, actually looks like something. Loving people has to go so much further than being polite, smiling, and giving people a hug. And so Jesus replies with a story, a parable in order to teach. He says that a man was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho and along the way he is robbed and he is beaten, he's stripped of everything, like his flash new Nikes, his Adidas jacket, Oakley sunglasses, gone. Everything stripped of him. The Bible says he's beaten half to death. I don't know how you can be half dead. I imagine you're fully alive or you're not alive at all, but there he is, half dead on the side of the road. Now a priest walks on by, and I read this, I thought, oh, this is gonna go good. Priest walks on by, but instead of helping the man, He crosses to the other side of the road and walks past. Can you believe it? Clearly not. That's not an Elam minister. He would not do that. Uh, A priest walks him by, doesn't help him at all. A little while later, a temple assistant, like a Levite, we know because they were the temple assistants, um, comes past and he basically does the same thing. He sees the man on the side of the, uh, the, the injured. He crosses to the side of the road. Now, we don't know why. The Bible doesn't say maybe he felt like it was an inconvenience. Maybe he felt like it was forbidden because of his role. We don't know. But all that we do know and all that really matters here is that he didn't offer any help. Later on, a Samaritan man comes along. And when he saw the Jewish man on the ground, the Bible says that he had compassion on the man. You see, compassion moves people. Compassion often moved Jesus. Church, can I encourage you to never close your heart off to having compassion? The Samaritan man helped soothe his wounds by applying olive oil and wine. It is right there in the Bible. Wine has healing properties. If you believe that, say amen. 
Some people said amen way too loud. We, we, <laughs> we found the wine drinkers. <laughs> Take the communion back. It's not happening today. No. So the injured man, so he, he soothes his wounds. The injured man is put onto the Samaritan's man's donkey and then they journey towards an inn where he's taken care of and the Samaritan man pays for everything. And he says to the innkeeper, here's some money for what I've asked you to do, but if his bill runs higher, don't worry, I'll pay you what's remaining when I come back and visit next time. And so Jesus finishes the parable by putting the question back to the experts of religious law. And he says, who do you say is the neighbor to the one that was beaten up by the robbers? And they say, well, I mean, you've led us to this place. Surely it's the man that showed mercy. And Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Now, I believe that the word of God is so very clear here, that we are called to be identifiable by the way that we love other people, not just our family, not just our friends, but our neighbor, whoever that may be. See, the way that we live out this call of God on our life is to love God with everything, but also to show extravagant love to others, to show kindness and to do something for someone that they can't actually do for themselves. What would East Auckland look like if we didn't just talk about it, but we dared to believe that we could go further than that, that we could actually step out and go beyond the pleasantries and the smiles and actually love people like Jesus would love them? I believe, and I hope you can see what I see and believe what I believe, that every corner of our community could be touched by the love and the grace of God. This is what Matthew 7:24 says. It's Jesus, and he says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it closely is wise, like a person who builds their house on rock. I wonder if today we could be a people that would be willing to look at the teachings of Jesus and be willing to follow them closely. Because Jesus identifies three main ways in this parable. We get the what. We get that we've been called to go out and love people and, and to be generous and, and, and all this thing to the people around us, but how? What does that look like? Well, in this parable, I believe Jesus makes it very clear, nice and practical for us, and I would like us to jump into those this morning so we can see how to actually love our neighbour. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. Okay, three, let's go. Okay, number one, to show our neighbour love is to help to soothe pain. Help to soothe pain. You can fill that in in your notes. Uh, there should be a blank there. Help to soothe pain. See, with all the good things that God promises us in our life, He also gives us some warnings about some less than desirable realities. Jesus said this. He says, in this life, you will have trouble, but take heart for I have overcome the world. See, we'll all face trouble. We'll all have to wade through the waters of heartache. We'll all have to journey through deep pain in our life. And some will experience what we would consider more than their fair share. But in the heartache and the trouble that we all face, there is a hope that is offered. And this hope is delivered to people more often than not by other people. And when it comes to showing extravagant love to our neighbors and to, to those that are hurting, many of us simply just do the best that we can, right? And while our heart motive is right, sometimes, unfortunately, we can have our neighbor uh, feeling unheard, misunderstood, or even more alone. You know, for some of us, our go-to is that we just offer advice. When someone is hurting, we offer advice to help them move to a better place from where they currently are. For others, you would do what you would consider speaking hope. Now your heart is right on it, but sometimes pointing out the silver lining, using phrases like, hey, well at least it's not dot, dot, dot. Or hey, like it could be worse, right? Sometimes phrases like that, that we sort of muster up in a moment of panic, can actually leave a person feeling more misunderstood and unheard and, and possibly even more alone. The reality is I'll be the first to admit 
I've been all three of those people at different times. And while I'd like to think my heart was always right on it, it's so important that we actually stop to think what the hurting person needs in that moment. This is one of those moments where being right is so far down on the priority list, where we actually need to meet the needs of a person, not just do what we think is right. Because to meet a person's need in a moment of pain, despite what we think of them, that's to show extravagant love and kindness. To meet a person's need in their moment of pain, despite what we think of those needs, that's what it looks like to show extravagant love and kindness. These Samaritans and Jews had some strong differences in their theology. The Samaritans, the man that helped, the Jew was the man that was injured. They had some very strong differences in theology at this time. And having the right theology was so important. It actually divided people. It created enemy out of di- enemies out of different people groups. And so for the Samaritan man, You could imagine that maybe for him, the most important thing, he finally comes across an injured Jew and he's like, right, he's vulnerable. This is my moment to finally teach this guy what is right about God and worship. But he doesn't do that. He bypasses their difference in understanding. He bypasses their difference in their perspectives on God and he simply tends to the man's physical wounds. You know, earlier this week, um, nearby the church here, there was a homeless man and we invited him in, we gave him a cup of tea. Some of our school staff members, they sat with him, they had a conversation, we gave him some food and we let him know that he was welcome to stay as long as he liked. Now, I wasn't in every conversation, but as far as I know, we didn't actually tell the man about Jesus. Now, you and I both know that the most important thing, the thing that this guy needs more than anything in the world is a relationship with Jesus. But if we're being honest, there's no way that that's what the man was thinking. There's no way that a man that was cold and hungry was thinking, man, all I need to hear about now is some guy that did something for me in in his mind. So we decided, despite what other people's opinions may be, just to tend to the current needs of the man. And so we gave him food, we we brought him in, we encouraged him, we let him know he could stay as long as he liked. And I honestly believe that what we did in that moment would have spoken far louder about the love, the grace, and the provision of our God than offering mere words. We did something for someone who couldn't do it for themselves. You know, one of the most Christ-exalting things that you can do as a believer is simply to love other people the way that Jesus would have loved them. To heal and soothe the pain of their circumstances before we think we have the right to speak into their life. And so here's just a, a few really quick practical tips when dealing with people who are hurting. I don't want you to just be inspired, but equipped. Some just, they're, they're nice and short. The first one that should be in your notes there is ask the person what they need. Ask the person what they need. You know, even though like sometimes when we're dealing with someone who's hurting or pain or they've gone through an experience, maybe like making a meal seems to be in order. And while that might be nice, maybe an hour of babysitting would be much more appreciated by them. Sometimes we assume that they wanna talk about what's gone on, what, what pain they're facing, when actually all they wanna do is talk about anything else. Maybe they just wanna be alone. Rather than assuming what they need, take the time have the grace to ask them what they need and be willing to accommodate that. Take the time to ask people what they need. Second practical tip is this, only give advice when asked. And this is tough if you're an advice giver. (laughs) Advice is always well received when it's requested, right? 
but unrequested advice can often leave a person feeling unheard, unseen, and alone. It's because people would like to think that somebody understands the depth of the painful experience that they're going through. And so when we're quick to offer advice without being asked, we're quick to offer a quick way out or easy solutions, it says to the person that perhaps we don't actually understand what it is that they're going through. And it lines up with the age-old saying that's so very true, that people don't remember what you say they remember how you made them feel. One of the greatest ways we can show love to our neighbor is to help soothe the pain. Ask the person what they need and only give advice when asked. Cool, the second thing that I noticed as I went through the parable that Jesus highlighted a way that we can love our neighbor is to be generous with your possessions. Should be number two in your notes there. Be generous with your possessions. See, we hear the word generous often in church, especially around our giving, but it's important to know that this word refers to so much more than just doing what's normal, ordinary, standard, expected. Darcy touched on it earlier at our time of giving. To be a generous person is to actually go above and beyond. It's to do more than expected. To be a generous person isn't just to have a sprinkling of generous moments, but to actually adopt an attitude and a perspective of over-the-top giving, of more than expected love. You know, in America, if you go to a restaurant and you tip, you're not considered to be generous because it's, it's normal. It's what you do, it's expected. It's actually factored into the way that the employees get paid. But in New Zealand, if you tip, it's received with surprise. Why? Because you must have really appreciated the service to go and do something that you weren't actually expected to do. People don't expect you to part with that thing that is most valuable to your life, which for many people can be our finance. Luke chapter 10, verse 34 to 35. This is the, this is the parable that we've been looking at and this is just a, a small part of it. It says, going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man. If the bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. See, the fact that the injured Jew was put on to the Samaritan's donkey makes it fair for us to assume that the Samaritan went the rest of the journey towards the inn on foot, right? Because sometimes our journey needs to become a little bit tougher so that somebody else's could be a little bit easier. This is what love looks like. The Samaritan man owed the injured Jew nothing. He owed him nothing. But it's because he owed him nothing that him voluntarily giving up of his resource and his finance would have no doubt left the man feeling so valued and appreciated. It was unexpected, it was over the top, it was extravagant love. It was something that the man couldn't have done for himself. And this is my one practical tip under loving people by being generous with our possessions and it's simply this, it should be in your notes, make sure your giving preserves someone's dignity. Make sure your giving preserves someone's dignity. So you notice that the Samaritan man paid the innkeeper. And he said, if the bill runs higher, I'll come back and pay you the innkeeper. He didn't say to the Jewish man that was injured, that was healing, hey, if you need more help, call me up, send a message, and I'll come back and give you some more money because it would have put the responsibility on the hurting man to actually reach out for more help. And if you're anything like me, you don't like reaching out and asking for help. No one likes to think that they're a burden on somebody else. You know, when you can be generous towards someone without them feeling like a charity, it allows them to see that you love them more than the image of being generous. And this is why Jesus said, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is giving. It was an illustration. It was, it was showing that we have the right heart in our giving because if we give in a way where we get the credit, 
then we've already received a reward for our sacrifice. We've parted with money or resource and we've received recognition. But the very nature of sacrifice is that it costs us something. So you can have them feel loved, valued, and appreciated, or you can be acknowledged for your giving. You can have them feeling loved, valued, and appreciated, or you can be acknowledged for your giving. See, the issue with this, and the reason I say it is, the more acknowledgement you get, the harder it is for the receiver to believe that you had the right motives. And while it would still remain as helpful, it all of a sudden seems a whole lot less loving. And so if your motive is actually to bless, then do it in a way that's not about your own recognition. This will cause your giving to happen not at the cost of their dignity. Now, I remember back in 2011, I was at ELC in uh, Elim Leadership College, and we went on our mission trip to Tonga. And I had a bunch of people step up and say that they would pray for me, and I was so very thankful for that. I knew I needed to be covered in prayer going on this mission trip. But I had one particular friend that came and said, hey, I'm gonna pray for you, but I'd also like to give financially. And they offered to give $200 towards the cost of my trip. I remember being blown away because it's not that I didn't appreciate the prayers, but I also recognized that for someone to pray for me didn't really cost them anything. Sure, it cost them a small amount of time, but for this person to say, I'm not only gonna pray for you, but I'm gonna part with something that's unexpected. I don't have to do that, I don't need to do this, but I'd like to. It really spoke to me about the fact that she believed in me and she believed what I was going into. And you know, there's so many different options that we can do to show extravagant love to our neighbor. We could buy them a coffee. We could sponsor a ticket for, uh, for a lady at Replenish Conference. We could cover the cost of a trolley full of groceries for a struggling single mum. Maybe filling someone's tank with petrol. These days, that would be real generous. Giving someone your old phone after you upgrade. There are countless options as to how we can show extravagant love and kindness to others. And if we would be so daring as to do it with our resource and our finance, from a place of humility, we would no doubt leave that person feeling so valued and loved. 2 Corinthians 9.11 says this, you will be enriched in every way so that, that's the reason, so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. They will thank God. Do you know that our generosity towards people could result in them praising God? But here's the thing, even if it doesn't, that's okay. This is what it looks like to love people the way that Jesus would love them. We have to be generous with our resources. Is that cool? Third thing that I noticed, I hope it encourages you this morning, practical way to love, um, I was gonna say our enemies, our neighbors. Um, I don't need those, that's good. <laughs> Amen, be gone. All right, is this, look past the differences. I've never done that, that was quite smooth. Look past the differences. Let's address the obvious, right? It's so much easier to show love and kindness to people that are like you and I. People that look like us, people that talk like us, like the same sports as us. But showing extravagant love and kindness is really easy when they value what we value and they believe what we believe. But this was not the criteria that Jesus worked to when loving other people. And it's not the criteria that we have been asked to love by. Jesus modeled this all the time. Who did he hang out with? If you read the scriptures, you hang out with the prostitutes, the tax collectors, those who were crippled, those with leprosy. None of these people were like him, yet these are the people he spent so much time with. He spent time with them, he served them, and he blessed them. This got him in a whole lot of trouble. People criticizing him left, right, and center for actually stepping out to show extravagant love to those that the world deemed unworthy. And you know what I find interesting about Jesus telling this parable is 
that the Samaritan and the Jew wouldn't have seen eye to eye on a whole bunch of things. Yet in this parable, Jesus highlights that it's the Samaritan man who had a heart of compassion and an act of love, even though the Samaritan man, as far as Jesus the Jew is concerned, had a whole bunch of questionable theological standings. He would have been outwardly involved in heresy. And Jesus sees that man, and in the story, he highlights him. Like, even though some of that's questionable, what it converted into was a compassionate heart and love towards people. And he highlights that as far more preferable than the two other men that seem to have godliness, yet no compassion. He's basically saying, it doesn't matter what you know if it doesn't result in you loving God and loving people because people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Isn't that so true? 1 Corinthians 13, verse one to three says, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal, like the people that go on about how much they know yet they don't actually show love. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it because it would still be helpful, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. It's so important to love people whether we agree with them or not. Our love shouldn't be withheld from those that have a different worldview because we love people because God loves them, not because they love God, yeah? We love people because God loves them, not because they love God. Whether or not someone should be helped and loved is not a decision that you and I have been asked to make. It's not negotiable. Whether someone should be helped and loved is not a decision that you and I have been asked to make. Ben, you guys can join me, that'd be awesome. So you've got, you've got a road that's dangerous and three guys travel it Two guys act the same and one guy acts out of love and compassion. What's interesting is that the priest and the Levite, the temple assistant, were likely traveling back from Jerusalem to Jericho after their service in the temple in Jerusalem. They left God's house, but they failed to show love outside of it. They just spent time in the temple, but what they hadn't done was allow the truth of Scripture to turn their hearts towards those that were hurting, those that were broken, those that were deserted. What a tragedy it would be if we as a people could come into God's house, we could sing praises of His goodness, we could lift up the name of Jesus, we could sit under teaching that aligned our hearts with God, and then we could leave God's house and not show people that same generous love that has transformed us. All people need love. All people are our mission field whether they like us or not, whether they are like us or not, whether they believe what we believe or not. You know, here at Elam Christian Center, we have a vision. We, this is what we feel God has called us to be. We are called to be a center of hope in our community, a center of hope where the hope of Jesus is right at the center so that we could reach, serve, and influence our community. And our heart is that not a single person could live in East Auckland locally to this campus and our other campuses would have the same sort of vision for their locations without being impacted positively some way by somebody that calls Elam home. Now, it's not that every single one of us has to have a connection with every single person, but that we have to play our part in having every person reached. And it's something I say to our youth leaders every now and then and something I said again on Friday. I said to them, as an individual, you don't have to know everybody's name, but as a team, every name must be known. It starts with each of us taking ownership to love people the way that God first loved us, to help soothe the pain, 
to be generous with our possessions, be generous with, with whatever it is that's in your hand, to look past the differences. No one has to do a huge amount, but in order for this thing to work, we all have to do what we can. Max Lucado said it like this, no one can do everything, but everyone can do something. It's an idea that large doors swing on small hinges, that our everyday small decisions to show extravagant love could have a massive impact on our community, our nation, potentially our world. And if it works, it might just change the world. Amen. I'd like to finish by praying a simple prayer. Maybe you're here today. You found yourself at Elam Christian Center. I don't care if this is your first time or you've been here a hundred times. I'd love to finish with a simple question. Is Jesus the center of your life? Because I wanna pray a prayer in just a moment. And if you were to be honest and say, no, Jesus is not the center of my life. Maybe I'm in church, but Jesus is not the center of my life. I wanna pray a simple prayer. And if you would pray that prayer and mean it, then the Bible says that, that God's promise that He would come into your life and completely transform you. He'd give you a brand new start, a clean slate, and He would walk this journey of life through you. I wanna invite everyone to close their eyes and bow their heads right where they are. You know, the Bible says this. It says, there is no greater love than to lay one's life down for one's friends. The greatest love is to do something for someone who can't do it for themselves. Because we sometimes choose our own way over God's way, that sin separates us from Him. We are dead in our sin. And the only way back is to pay the price that that sin deserved. And the only way to pay that price was for Jesus to go to the cross. He paid the price that we could not pay. He did what we could not do so that we could have the life that we did not deserve. Jesus laid down His life so that we could find ours. The motivator for all of this, extravagant love. If you've never asked Jesus into your life, He's the greatest news of all. This prayer that we're about to pray doesn't require you to get anything in order. It simply requires you to come as you are before a God who loves you and wants to transform your life. I'm gonna pray this out loud. I invite you to pray this in your heart if you mean it. Say, dear God, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I've chosen my own way above your way and I know that this separated me from you, God, but I thank you and I believe that Jesus went to a cross and paid the price that I deserve to pay. God, He rose again three days later and because of that, I can have eternal life. God, in this moment, I ask you to be my Lord and to be my Savior, the one that paid that price for me. I turn from my old life and I turn to a brand new life with you. In Jesus' name, with every eye still closed and every head still bowed, I want you to do something so brave. I'm so proud of you if you prayed that prayer and you meant it. If you meant it, I want you to lift your hand, just acknowledge me in three, two, one. Go right now, awesome at the back. Is there anybody else? You prayed that prayer, you meant it over here on the right. Yes, 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 awesome. Is there anyone else? We're just gonna wait a few more moments. Thank you so much. I've, I've seen your hand, you can put it down. Thank you so much, you can put it down. Is there anyone else? You're saying, my life was not right with God, but I prayed that prayer and I meant it. Final moments. Praise God, praise God. Let me pray for you. Father God, I thank you for lives changed, for the transformation that has taken place. I thank you that you have an extravagant love for us, a love that always endures, a love that always chases, a love that never gives up, for, gives up on us. My prayer today, God, for those that raised their hand and those perhaps that didn't but wanted to, but their heart was turned towards you, I pray that this would be the start of an exciting new journey. God, would you bring the right people around them? Would you help them on this journey? Would you show them visions and dreams and the plans that you 
you have for them in their life. I thank you for them. I thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Can we put our hands together and congratulate those people that lifted their hands, that said yes to Jesus today? Come on, church, why don't we stand to our feet? We're gonna give God some worship just for a few moments before we end our time together.